Well, it's good to be back here again this evening as we have another opportunity to sit under the Word of God and look into His Word and see what it has for us. I want to welcome each one and I bring you greetings this evening in the name of Jesus, our eternal Lord. We look in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 12 to 14. We have there a picture of the saints of God gathered around His throne, praising God, and it talks about them lifting up their voices of praise to Him that sitteth upon the throne and reigns forever and ever. And Jesus said when He was here on earth, He reminded to people the Pharisees were pressing Him for um, pressing him about what authority he had and all those kind of things. And Jesus reminded them that he says, I am that I am. Jesus, Jesus says in, in, in John uh, chapter 8, uh, he, he, this Pharisees, he said, Verily, ver you know, they asked, you know, he told them that before Abraham was, you know, he existed. He said, before Abraham was, I am and so it's to him again we want to set our focus this evening our eternal Lord before we go into the message this evening I just want to take a few moments to thank you as a congregation it's been a very good week for me it's been bodily wearying I have you know I came here this evening and bodily weary but you know the singing and the devotional uh, just refreshed and renewed and strengthened uh, to again look into God's word and, and worship the almighty God that dwelleth forever and ever. So I want to thank you for your hospitality. You've been an easy congregation to preach to. There was a sense of attentiveness and caring about what was preached and uh, seemed like a hunger for God's word. I'm blessed here by the, the many young families uh, which seems there's a desire to do right, to live for the Lord, and to teach your children in the ways and the values of things that are eternal. That has been a blessing to me this week. I also want to thank you for your words of encouragement and uh, for your, your special little goodie bags that you got into my car before I traveled home. That was just kind of a way of uh, unwinding as I went home and, and keeping me from getting too tired. So I was done reaching and snacking and nibbling. I was good ways down the road and uh, ready to stay awake for the rest of the way home. So thank you for that. And again, I just want to encourage you to continue pressing on in the things of the Lord. Uh, you know, if there's anything this week that has been stepping stones in your life uh, to a closer walk with God, to renewed determination to to walk with Christ and to be faithful. I want God to have the glory. And again, my heart, I know as I leave a place like this, having gotten to know you for a week and in and out, uh, ministering among you, uh, there's always a part of this congregation that will stay with me. Be a burden of heart that uh, as the Lord brings you to mind, I will pray for you that you may continue to grow, be knit together in him. You think of me, pray for me as we go out, go about and continue serving the Lord faithfully until he comes again. I think I'll give one more opportunity for testimony, personal testimonies. I said I 
like to do that at revival meetings. So if there's someone here that has something they would like to share in relation to the week, I want to give an opportunity to do that. Not going to tarry long, but uh, open it up for you to share a word of testimony. Well, if not, we're going to continue on in the message. We've looked at various things throughout the week here. And I look at God's word. You know, we haven't scratched the surface of what is here for spiritual food for us to encourage us on the way of life. And so when I come to an end of a set of meetings like this, a closing, it's always, what more should I say? What should we look at tonight? There's one thing that we don't talk about a lot, and that is that the sands of time are sinking. You know, we are, we are traveling to eternity. This evening I've chosen to look at the subject, eternity ahead. As I travel the highways, I probably put somewhere around 40,000 plus miles on a year on the highway and my job and various travels and you know as we travel the highways there's a lot of signs that we see that prepare us for what's ahead you know if I'm driving down the road I see a sign that says road construction two miles ahead it, it's there for the cautions that need to be taken and appropriate actions taken for that. Uh, sometimes you see a flashing sign that says traffic incident ahead at mile marker 219 or whatever the mile marker is. It tells you to be alert for various traffic hazards. We see signs that sometimes are shaped in a, a black line in a semicircle or a snake shape with an arrow on the end. It's a sign of caution for what's ahead. You know, we may not as travelers always appreciate the signs that we see. Uh, some of them we say, oh no, uh, what is this going to mean? But them signs are there for our safety and for our good and for the good of others. Uh, it's there so that we can arrive safely to the desired destinations that we have our minds fixed upon. And, uh, you know, this evening as we think of the traveling the highways, tonight we are traveling from the, high, uh, the highway of life that leads from the cradle to the grave. Each of our journeys this evening begin with a birth into this world, and the journey is going to end uh, when we pass from time into eternity, either by, by death or by the Lord's return. Just yesterday I was talking with someone that, um, well, I'd say there's a man I've known for many, many years. Uh, he stopped at his restaurant that he normally went for breakfast and when he left, he said to one of the employees there, I'll see you tomorrow. But you know, before the end of the day, he was in the hands of the undertaker. He was prepared for eternity, but 
You know, that is the uncertainty of life. You know, eternity is ahead. The thought, is a, the thought of something being eternal or the thought of eternity is something that you and I cannot fully comprehend, or at least I can't. There's a sense of eternity that we must simply take by faith because everything we do in this life from the time we're born to the time we die is fixed with time. There's time for this, there's time for that, it's time, everything is time sensitive. But if we go to Revelation 10, verses 5 and 6, it says, And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth, lifted up his hand to heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, who created the heaven and all things that therein are, and the sea and the things that therein are. You know, it's referring to him there as the creator God. But he said, He swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that time shall be no more. You know, time ends in eternity. As we think of uh, the word eternal or the idea of being eternal, in the Old Testament there's two Hebrew words that describe eternal. One of them is quadem, which has the idea preexistent. Uh, in De Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, it says, The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. That idea of eternal there uh, is it's, it's interpreted from the Hebrew would simply mean beyond the east. Uh, beyond the east. When we look to the east in the morning, we see a sunrise coming up. And so the east is where we look to see the beginning of a new day. Uh, but it is telling us here that God existed before the beginning. It goes back prior to the beginning. God is eternally preexistent. Uh, the other word is alam, which has the idea of a perpetual forever, uh, existing beyond the vanishing point. And I don't know how many of you have opportunity to travel in the West where you look out at the straight roads and you, you can see as far as the eye can see to that, that roadway vanishes in a dot. It's... It's, it's out there, you, the eye can see so far, but beyond that has the idea of eternal. That which lies beyond the vanishing point, going on forever. The New Testament word for eternal or having the idea of being eternal is anios or meaning a perpetual forever. Something that is everlasting and goes on it's a, tie, it's a realm where time no longer exists. You know, as we think of uh, in that realm of the eternal, there is no return or change of course in the realm of eternity. You know, Job, I think it is, says that as a tree falleth, so shall it lie. You know, in the realm of eternity, there's no recourse 
There's no turning back. The state that, it is, that you find yourself in eternity is forever. There's no change of, no change of course. Uh, eternity is not spent. You know, sometimes we sing the song, where will you spend eternity? Well, when we spend something, we no longer have it. But the other song, one other songwriter says, when we've been there 10,000 years bright, shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. It's the idea of eternal. Unfortunately, for those that refuse and reject God in the, in the day of salvation are going to uh, find themselves in eternal damnation. And one poet said that, and when they've been there 10,000 years with the devil and his sons, they've no less night to mourn their plight than when they first begun. You have the two spectrums of eternity. Both are eternal. And so this evening, as we think of eternal destiny, eternity is ahead. And brothers and sisters, this evening, we sit here as living, breathing, thinking individuals and people. But each one of us is going to inhabit eternity. It cannot, it, 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 it's, a, it's a fact of life. You know, we can't escape the reality of eternity. We can only prepare for that eternal destiny. Today, we can choose that destiny and accept the conditions that go with that to accompany that destiny. Or we can set the conditions and accept the destiny. You see, the difference is vast. Today, we can choose that straight and narrow way that leadeth to life, or we can choose the broad way that leadeth to destruction. Uh, the choice is ours today. But the, the reality that we cannot escape eternity uh, is real. There is eternity ahead. The scripture is very clear on that. This, morning, this evening, I would just like to read two passages of scripture just to kind of drive this point home in our minds. The first one is Matthew chapter 25. I'd like to uh, read verses 31 to 46. And we'll note that, you know, in Matthew 24, we have Jesus uh, being questioned by his disciples about future things. And what is going to take place in the future and what the sign of his second coming are going to be. If we come into Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven at the time of his return is going to be like ten virgins that took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them had oil in their lamps, five of them didn't. Five of them, their lamps had gone out. And I'm not going to make a lot of comment on the, the state of the kingdom, but I would like us to notice in that, that here we have people, the fact that there was five vir or ten virgins, it tells me that these ten virgins were expecting to go into the wedding feast. In the in the days of, of, of Jesus being here on earth, 
These ten virgins were ten bridal attendants that were chosen to accompany the bride when she went forth to meet the bridegroom. Uh, they were actually bridal attendants. And, and to be invited as a bridal attendant in that day was of the utmost importance. I mean, you were given a... You, you, were, you were request, your presence requested there was an honor that was beyond the, uh, the average honor of that day. And to carelessly neglect that was a shameful thing. And uh, the marriage custom of the day, the marriage took place when the dowry was paid and the contract was signed and it was agreed that you know, this man would marry my daughter. Uh, the two families came together, they agreed on it, and a set time after that, the, the, the bridegroom, he went back to his family, he, he uh, made the preparations, and at a given day on announced, he would return to receive the bride. And the cry would go out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And the virgins that were going to be bridal attendants would rise up, get dressed, and take their lamps because it was at nighttime when he would return and he went forth to meet the bridegroom. We have five of them who were intending to be there. Or I should say we have ten of them that were intending to be a part of that. Five of them, they lit their lamps and, and they were ready to go. But five of them were found wanting. And we know that when the bridegroom came, they went to get oil, and they were barred from entering in to, beat the, to be with the bridegroom. We go, back, we go a little farther into Matthew chapter 25. It says, uh, the emphasis is that the kingdom of heaven today is, as a man traveling into far country, that took his money and he entrusted it to his servants, to labor in his kingdom. And so that is the state we are living in today. God has called us as his servants. He has empowered us. He has gifted us. And he is, he is at some point in time going to return and call account to the servants. And, and I'd just like to go down now to, uh, let's go to verse 31. We look at maybe a little more of the practical aspects of this. And again, I would like to note in the passage that I'm going to read, all the persons involved said, yes, we, we want to we, we serve you, Lord. We, uh, we want to be there when you come back. We're expecting to be there. But again, we see the great shepherd which is Jesus Christ, he divides the sheep from the goats. There's a separating out. It says, And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all his holy angels with him, then shall he sit on the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, 
and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered? or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee. Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. You know, we look there at that passage of Scripture, we see the seriousness of life. We, we see the seriousness of our choices, our actions, and our doings. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 16. I'd like to pick up reading at verse 14 and read down through verse 31 as we think of the reality that eternity is ahead. Uh, we need to be today uh, serious in mind of being prepared for the day of passing from time into eternity, and that we can do that in a right relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that our sins have been under the blood, we have lived under the direction of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, is the, lamp, is the light in the lamps that the, the, uh, the ten virgins were carrying. I believe that was the, uh, that, 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 Oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit that empowers and enlightens as we go forth in labor for the Master. So now we come to another passage of Scripture where Jesus makes it clear. Uh, we find here in, in Luke 16, if we uh, pick up reading at verse 14, it says there, And the Pharisees also who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For, he whom it, for that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And the law and the prophets were until John. Since then the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for and it is easier for heaven and earth to pass and 
Yeah, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass one jot or one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery, and whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. And then he goes on to give them a story, an account. In verse 19, he says, And there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate, full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man died also and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and, Lazar and, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger into water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham said unto him, They have Moses, they have the prophets, uh, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one, uh, if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. As we look at these passages of Scripture, we see two groups of people. We see two sets of values and choices. And we see two eternal destinies. Eternal destinies, again I come back to the fact that Time is going to end in eternity. You and I, God has created as eternal beings. And we're going to either experience the joys and the unspeakable blessings of that eternal world in the presence of Jesus Christ. Or we will spend eternity in, the, in damnation and condemnation in the fires of hell that God prepared for the devil and his angels. Eternity is ahead. Today is the day where we choose the destiny. We choose life in Christ. We choose to walk in God's ways. Or either we choose to reject it. Today is the day of salvation. Uh, today is the opportunity. You know, we get a little picture here. Uh, the Pharisees were deriding Jesus. They saw no need of his salvation. Uh, one of the things we see as we look at the Pharisees, we go back through this passage, we would see that 
the Pharisees despised people that they thought were unworthy of Jesus' time and attention. The scribes or the 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 uh, the uh, publicans and the sinners, you know, they came to Jesus and they found redemption, they found forgiveness of sin, they found renewal of life. But the Pharisees were rejecting it. It says there in verse 14 that the Pharisees derided him. That simply means they were openly opposing, rejecting, and sneering at what he was offering. They seemingly despised the love that God had for all men. They were they who justified themselves before men. You know, uh, there's a lot of, there's two kinds of justification. You either have the justification that God gives when our sins are taken away by the blood of Jesus. And then there's a justification that men think they're covering themselves with when they begin to make all kinds of excuses and point fingers in all kinds of directions rather than taking responsibility, personal responsibility for personal sin. You know, we have the, the Pharisees, they were rejecting Jesus. Verse 15, it would appear that they would have had a love for the things of the world because Jesus told them that which is most highly esteemed in the eyes of men is an abomination in the sight of God. You know, again, it has to do with our love and our allegiance. They were seemingly living after the lust of the flesh. Jesus points out to them the sanctity of marriage that you know, if a man divorces his wife and marries another, he's living in adultery. He's an adulterer. And I am told, according to history, that the, the uh, Pharisees were, uh, it didn't take them much of an excuse to divorce a wife and marry another. You know, they came to Jesus and they said, is it, is it okay to put away a wife for any cause? Jesus says, here there's no cause. A man that does that, is living in adultery, and he that marrieth her that is put away is an, adult, is, is an adulterer. Jesus was pointing out the, the uh, sins that they were obstinately holding on to and justifying themselves in. They were living after the lust of the flesh. They were enemies of the kingdom. They had invented a system of religion that appeared to be righteous. They were, they were self-righteous individuals. They were pretty much individuals that were in control of the Jewish political and judicial system. They were smug and secure in their own little kingdom. They had religion. They had wealth. They had power over men. And they were smug and secure. They were choosing the things of this life over eternity. They had values. Uh, their values were simply self uh, they, they were selfish values all for themselves. On the other hand, you have here in this group, you have Jesus, his 12 disciples, and others that had chose to follow him. Jesus, on the other hand, had left the realms of glory to bring eternal redemption to humanity. I don't think we can fathom the step of Jesus leaving his kingly throne in the realm of glory and surrendering that to be man, even if he would live among the highest class of human beings. 
But he, not only did he not live in the highest class, but he left the glories of the eternal world to come down here and to walk among men as a lowly servant. Um, you know, what a sacrifice. Completely different, completely opposite of the hearts of the Pharisees. You had Jesus' disciples, the twelve, who left the nets to establish the kingdom of God. To, to walk with Jesus day by day and to learn of his ways so that when Jesus went back to heaven and he sent the power, the gift of the Holy Spirit upon them that they could go out with power and, and preach the gospel of the kingdom, establishing the kingdom of God which you and I have privilege and opportunity to be part of this evening. You know, Jesus, it, it took sacrifice. Uh, you have others that were following and learning and serving the master. All this required a deliberate choice of value and priority. You know, when we think about eternity ahead, there's a caution on us for the values and the priorities that we place on life. We need to have a priority on those things that are eternal. We need to be like those of old who sought a city whose builder and maker was God not be turned away from that. The second thing here, we see there was two sets of values and choices. Tonight, we are saved by grace through faith. Um, now, Martin Luther said that we are saved by faith alone. And that's where Martin Luther uh, run into conflict with the book of James. You might wonder why James, in the valuable book that it is, is, is so far back in the Bible. That is because of Martin Luther. He said he'd like to throw Jimmy in the fire. He didn't like what James had to say. But if we look at the scriptures tonight, truly, we are saved by grace through faith. And not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created uh, created unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know, salvation, true salvation is going to work the works of God. Uh, if you, we, we look at this, this fact that we are saved by grace through faith, but when we look at the judgment of God, it comes back to the works. You know, if you look through scripture, you look at the you look at the sheep and the goats. You know, what was the dividing factor? It was the things they did and the things they didn't. That was evidence of the faith that they lived. Uh, James tells us pure religion and undefiled before God is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their afflictions and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. You know, it, it has to do with the things we're going to do. No, the Pharisees, the person that is, 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 is self-centered, there isn't any good works that we can do in our own strength and power. But when we come to Jesus Christ by faith, we're cleansed of our sins. He indwells us with his Holy Spirit, and the results is going to be works of righteousness. And if them works of righteousness are not there, there's... There's a problem back in the faith department. Um, you know, Jesus makes it very clear that 
there's those things that are expected of us. In Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats were separated by the things they did. If we look at, if we look here in, in uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, we have this parable that Jesus gives. And one of the things that we need to recognize in a parable is that there's a point that Jesus wants to make. Every parable has one primary point. You can't make everything in a parable fit into a box. Uh, I remember being in New York City on street meetings, this goes back years ago, and there was a man on the street and he was preaching. His message was, if you're poor you go to heaven, if you're rich you go to hell. If you're poor, you go to heaven. If you're rich, you go to hell. That's all he would. I said, well, where do you get that? Well, he come back to this scripture. Uh, yes, there was, we, we understand that there's material and fiscal responsibilities in life. But the, the problem here, the point that Jesus was trying to get across in his parable is that there is eternity ahead. There's an eternal destiny when we know that it wasn't the riches of the rich man, but it was his insensitivity to the needs of others around them. There was only one person in the life that mattered, and that was him. And, and you know, it, it, it sort of goes beyond me how he could pass by this beggar at his gate and simply have no apathy for the needs of that individual. He was exactly like the priest and the Levite that walked past the man that was on the, uh, lay beside the Jericho Road. Uh, you know, we, I have other things to do. No care for the, the needs of humanity. Um, this evening, you and I need to be prepared for eternity ahead. You know, there's, there's choices that we need to make uh, day by day. Uh, again, I come back to the idea that we can choose a destiny and accept the conditions. Or we can set the conditions of our life and accept the destiny. And I would like to say this evening that, you know, in life's actions are often defined by a few major decisions in life. You know, there's, there's some major decisions that we make that are going to affect our eternal destiny. Will we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior? Will we accept Him as our Lord? Will we serve Him? You know, those are big decisions where we make and we drive a stake. But I am of the persuasion tonight for as important as that is, and it's, it's of ultimate importance, but more often our life is defined by the small choices that we make day to day. You know, there's, there's that ongoing choice. And so we have these two men here in, the, in, in Luke 16, and uh, this message is going out as a, as a story to give a stern warning to the Pharisees who were rejecting and defying the way of salvation. They loved their position, they loved their power, they loved their wealth, they were adulterers, 
Uh, their greatest sin, though, was their refusal to accept and acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Master of their lives. You know, they rejected Jesus. And I'd like to say there's a lot of sins that a person can commit. But the refusal to bring our sins under the blood of Jesus Christ and find freedom and cleansing is, I believe, the greatest sin a person can commit. When we look at the price that Jesus paid to bring salvation to us, how can we in rational thinking turn away and accept the eternal consequences of damnation? We have here these people in their love for themselves, you know, they forgot about the reality that eternity was ahead. We have, you know, as we, as we think about that seriousness of eternity ahead, we don't know the situations of this beggar that, that sat there by the gate begging. Uh, if you go to other countries of the world, there isn't welfare programs, there's not government programs to help, and there certainly wasn't in their day, and so... You know, the poor people, the beggars, the, the ones that are halt and maimed, those that are sick and uh, in bad shape, you know, they were often taken and laid at strategic places to, to beg. And I believe this beggar was probably laid there outside the rich man's gate, hoping that there was his rich friends coming and going and he could, he could get some necessities of life from them. He could find enough of coins being cast into the basket, you know, so that he could somehow make a living, but, uh, or have at least some of the basics of life. You know, we don't, you know, as we, we think about that, and this rich man, the apathy, the, the unconcern he had, and, you know, he probably was smug in, in, in feeling that he had accomplished a lot, he had a lot, and he was, he was simply going to enjoy it. He was going to live it up. And I just, as I, as I think of this, this whole thing of, of, of that kind of a mentality, you know, I've often been intrigued by the story of the Titanic. I just here a few weeks ago, my wife and I went out to, to Harrison, Arkansas to visit our son who's serving out there at Hillcrest Home. And Branson, Missouri is just to the north of that, and there's a Titanic Museum there. And we took the time to go into the Titanic Museum. And, uh, you know, it, it was, I guess maybe going back a little more in the story of the Titanic, when I was ordained, uh, the bishop, that, the, the man that, that preached the ordination message, uh, he took, the text was from Ezekiel 33, where if the watchman warned, the people, and they don't take heed, the blood, the watchman is free of the blood of the people. But where the watchman fails to warn and give warning, the blood is going to be required at his hand. And uh, he used the illustration of the Titanic. And we were there, we, we toured the Titanic. One of the things that comes clear is the Titanic was a, was was very much a... Uh, something that was held up glorifying the works of man. That ship was built 
It was, it was all about the glory of man's accomplishments. And, you know, the, the mentality there was that ship was unsinkable. That ship was secure. You don't need to worry. There was even the comment made that God himself could not sink that ship. And so they began that maiden voyage across the Atlantic in early April. And uh, they were nearing Greenland. They were, they were just a little bit to the uh, east of Greenland. And they start getting signals that came across the, the uh, I think it was the, the radio-controlled telegraph that they were sending and receiving messages. And, and the SOS, the, the severe warnings went out that they were in severe ice fields. That, uh, a couple of the other ships finally said that they anchored for the night because it was not safe to move. And, uh, you know, in the Titanic, it was one big party going on, and those warnings were completely disregarded. Finally, out of the dark of the night, an, earth, or, uh, an iceberg loomed in front of the Titanic with no time to turn the ship, no time for the ship to respond. And the side of that ship caught in that iceberg and tore open the hole in the side of that ship. And, you know, passengers were awakened from their sleep, the ones that were sleeping. Some of them went up the deck and, and you know, what, what is... You know, what happened? Well, they said they hit the iceberg, but there's, there's no worries. Uh, after about a half an hour, they said, well, you know, if some people want to get in the lifeboats, it's, you know, it's, it's not too bad an idea. But, you know, I'm sure you'll be back on the ship before breakfast. Um, that was kind of the mentality. And finally, you know, they ignored all warnings, all signs of reality, and they began to realize without question the ship was going down. They began to load lifeboats as fast as they could, set them out, but you know, they didn't even have time to load all the lifeboats. The first lifeboats went down with just a few individuals on the lifeboats. And uh, you know, others, no urgency to get on and finally, in the last moments, there was an extreme urgency to get on the lifeboats, and there was a variety of responses. There was those that would have given anything to get on the lifeboat. And uh, Annie Funk, who was a Mennonite missionary to Africa, had been flying, or she, yeah, flying, uh, I guess it was flying for that day, but they, she, she was sailing home from Africa, and she'd been in, in uh, Belfast, uh, Ireland where or yeah she anyway she got on that maiden voyage in third class uh, coming across and that night as the lifeboats were being loaded she was sitting on the lifeboat and a mother with a small child wanted to get on the boat and the by the conductor the man that was conducting the loading said that they can take the child but they can't take the mother and Annie said, a child needs her mother. I'm ready to meet the Lord. I'm going to get off. You know, she knew that eternity was ahead. And she did not fear it. She was ready 
to meet the master. She gave that seat to someone that was needing it worse than her. But you know, there were stories told of the survivors. But when that ship finally went down, there was a reality for many people that eternity is ahead. One man wrote that he remembers his father would never go to ball games or any sporting events where there was any cheering and uh, that kind of uprising because he said it, rem it reminds him of the horrific screams of the people that were going down into a Christless eternity. That night as that boat was going down, it, there was people jumping off, but the reality of eternity ahead, there was no recourse. There was no recourse, and there was that, that just agonizing cry that filled the air for just a few moments, and all was silent. There's differing responses there. There was a story of a Baptist pastor that had got on in a life jacket and jumped from the ship. And there was a man he was witnessing to in the deck, and I guess they were hand in hand as they were there in the water, and this pastor was trying to convince this man to give his heart to the Lord Jesus. And he wasn't sure, and finally the pastor took off his life jacket, helped the other guy, the man, get in the life jacket, who was later picked up by a boat that gave the story. And I think the man eventually did give his heart to the Lord. But you know, that pastor was willing to take off that life jacket because eternity was ahead and to him it was a joy it was a joy it was an expectancy it was a coming home but there was those that were unprepared you know I can't imagine what it sounded like on the outside of the ark when it began to rain in Noah's day you know the day of salvation had been closed eternity was ahead what a tragedy. Today, behold, today is the day of salvation. Today we can be secured. We can be in the lifeboat of Jesus Christ. And when the storms of life come, we're going to be safety and security to carry us through into eternity. As we look at this passage of scripture a little more here this evening, I just want to touch on a few points uh, the reality here is that it says the beggar died and he was carried he was carried by angels to the bosom of Abraham we don't know what all that entails in the bosom of Abraham but we see here it's a place of conscious existence and there's the experience there of conscious bliss the comfort the care, uh, the relationship that is there. Uh, and we can look at other places of Scripture where we look at the glories of the eternal world. And I do not believe this evening that we have the capacity in these human bodies to fully understand the glories of heaven. All we know that it's going to be far exceeding Anything we've experienced here on earth by the way of joy and satisfaction and peace and, and just that, that being in the presence of Jesus. Uh, 
We used to sing that song, Oh, won't it be wonderful there, having no burdens to bear. Uh, I, I forget the rest of the words of that song, but the idea of the glories and the bliss, and I don't believe we can fully comprehend that this evening. But the other man also died. He lived in well, he lived with no concern about eternity. And he died, and it says in hell, he lifted up his eyes. Being in torments, plural. Just as we cannot, we cannot fathom the glories and the beauty of, a, of the eternal realm of those who are in the presence of Jesus. Neither can we fully comprehend tonight the agonies and the torments that are in that place that the Bible refers to as hell, in an everlasting flame of fire, outer darkness. Uh, and, and, and one of the things as we look at the torments of hell, we see it here. He sees Abraham afar off with Lazarus in his bosom. There is a reality that he could have been there. He had that opportunity. But he squandered it. He squandered it for what all of a sudden was of no value. He squandered it and there he was in eternal darkness. And there is in all that torments that he experienced, there was an eternal hopelessness. You know, we may go through some trying situations of life. And, you know, all you do is... Well, you know, tomorrow will probably be better. And I don't know how you find it. If you had a tough day, you know, usually you get a night's sleep and you're ready to face with new confidence, new hope. There is something better. But to those that are eternally lost, there is no better. It's forever and ever and ever separated from the presence of God and his goodness for all eternity. As I think of being separated from God and his goodness and his mercies, there's no living soul in this world today that is totally separated from the mercies of God. God's mercies continue. His rain falls on the just and the unjust. His sunshine shines on the just and the unjust. But in the day you enter the realm of eternity, uh, those that have been lost are cut off from the, from the mercies and the goodness of God forever. Those who have been prepared are going to experience the glories of that eternal world forever and ever. As I look at a message like this tonight, you know, preaching about the realities of eternal damnation is one of the hardest things I find to preach on. And I believe the devil would have a silent on it this evening. But the reality is, eternity is ahead. Today, we have the choice to choose which eternal destiny we're going to have. You know, the door of salvation, the, the way of salvation is open this evening. We can secure 
the realm of eternity and the glories of heaven. Or if we neglect and say, well, maybe somehow we'll get by. I, and I, I feel there's a lot of people that they don't want to give up their selfish will. They don't want to give up their ungodly pleasures. They want to live for self. They want to enjoy, and some people it's not in extravagance. It's just that little hidden sin that we want to tuck away and keep hid for ourselves. Uh, we, we, you know, and, and, and they, the devil tries to convince people that it'll be okay. It, it, you know, you can somehow get by like that. We have the account of that rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And Jesus laid out the conditions of eternal salvation for him. He turned away sorrowful. But I don't believe he was convinced in his mind that he had rejected his opportunity of eternal salvation. I believe he thought somehow I can have both and get by. Tonight we can't. It's all out for Jesus or it's lost. You know, we give our heart completely surrendered to his lordship. Brothers and sisters, tonight, eternity is ahead. Where will you be in eternity? Only you can answer that this evening. As you look into the recesses of the heart tonight, you can look into the you can look at the promises of scripture and you can find rejoicing in your heart. But if there's sin buried in the heart, we cannot claim that promise. And there's an unsettledness and a fear. And tonight, you can be free. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.